We're beginning a new book of the Bible today, the book of Colossians, one of Paul's letter to one of the churches gathered in the city called Colossae, and I'll begin in prayer. And Father, we thank you again for just being able to worship you in freedom. We pray that freedom would continue in this nation. And Lord, we know that there are Christians serving you in pain and suffering around the world who are not having the freedom we do, and yet they're choosing to worship you even though they're being persecuted and killed. We know that uh, you love those people as much as you love us. You don't love us more because we're Americans. You don't love us more because we have such freedom. And we certainly don't want to squander it. We also know, Lord, there are people suffering in our midst. We're so thankful to see you raise up Heather out of her hospital bed and just have her be and doing better here amongst us. And I know they have a story, which perhaps we'll have them tell at soup day. Um, before we begin, we also have a, a, an issue that we're constantly crying out to you about with KT and her health. And all these, the surgery and everything, they're still not able to release her from pain. And God, we are just crying out to you for KT. And we pray that for her and Ann Lynn that you would pour out your spirit upon them. We pray you'd be with Jana and with Nate in just a very deep way. And, and now she's out of the hospital. And Lord, there are many circumstances, be they physical or through circumstances that are just painful and difficult, that we're not afraid to bring before you. We're also, Lord, not here just to receive what we want from you. We know that little children only know to ask for what they want. But we are learning to ask you for your will to be done. We are praying, too, Lord, that we would be like Samuel, who when he was put in the position to hear the word of God, you've declared about him, he let none of your words fall to the ground. I don't know that anybody in this room, I certainly can't say that. I've never let any of your words just kind of fall to the ground. But I pray today would be a day where your word in nobody's life falls to the ground, but enters the heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Colossians chapter 1. And to give you an introduction, this is written about 60 A.D. by the Apostle Paul. We believe, but are not certain, that he was still in, or when he was in the Roman Mamertine prison and wrote the Philippian letter, and possibly the Ephesian letter, that he wrote this letter as well. Um, Ephesus is 100 miles east of Colossae. Colossae is near Laodicea. It's up in the, when it says Asia... In the Bible, it's Asia Minor is like the, it's the ancient name for that region up in Turkey and around the top of the Mediterranean and up that way that you see in the Bible uh, maps. And uh, Paul never made it to Colossae before he wrote this letter. We don't know that it, I, I'm not right now remembering that he did make it there at all. Um, he went to Ephesus and. And others went to Colossae who were from Ephesus, and a church was birthed there. In Acts 19.10, you don't have to turn there, it tells us that as Paul was in Ephesus for two years preaching and teaching, that it says all in Asia, meaning again that same region of Asia Minor, everyone in Asia Minor, (laughs) both Jew and Greek, heard the word of Jesus. Is that significant? 
a whole region. Now, I don't know if when the Bible says everyone, everyone in Jerusalem was in an uproar. They didn't do a search house to house to say, well, there's a woman sitting here that's not in uproar. <laughs> it means when you say, when Gail says to me, you're not Gail, you're Gail. Okay. <laughs> She's usually in that spot, though. You know, I, I'm glad you're wearing a name tag, Kate. That's okay. <laughs> See, those of you listening online, you just miss a lot not being here. You really, really do. Uh, so, so at any rate, when Gail says to me, uh, guess who was at Walmart today? You know what the answer, I go, who? Everyone. <laughs> so she saw 20 of you guys, some of her friends from Guiding Eyes for the Puppies, and et cetera, and she means that there was just, it was just packed out. Everybody in town was there. There is a way, it's not quite the same here. When it says all in Asia heard, it is the entire region. It went to every spot. But we don't know that every single person had a clear understanding of the gospel yet. And by the way, we live in a time where you may think people know the gospel just because you hear the name Jesus and you tune in, and your ears tune in to things that are said. But um, we have people that are in third generation now in this country that they, they didn't go to church, their parents didn't go to church, their parents didn't go to church, they never opened a Bible. The only thing they see about Christianity is little sound bites they get from uh, media and then weird stuff, and they don't, they don't tune in with the stuff you do. They're, and their minds aren't tuned in, and, and they have no idea who Jesus is. And by the way, I mean, even in my day, being 18 years old, when I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, um, and I'm not, my parents did not keep me in ignorance on purpose, and they were kind to non-Jews. I'm raised Jewish, and they loved people. They were, my parents were, you know, what you call good people, and they taught us good stuff about respect. But my parents did not teach me who Jesus was. And I was amazed when I found out at 18 years old, not that I, I'm not saying nobody ever said it in my hearing, but I never caught it. Jesus was Jewish. This Christian Jesus that all of my Christian friends worship was a Jewish guy. I mean, I guess I knew he was in Israel. <laughs> oh, all his disciples were Jewish. And then when I got a New Testament open, I went, all these people are Jewish. This is all happening in Israel. The Jewish people, that was all new information to me. Is that amazing to you? Don't be amazed at the fact that people don't know what you think they know. And if you've sat in church for two years and really listened, and you've come faithfully, and especially any church that's actually going through the Bible, uh, and they don't have to do it just like we do it, but at going through Scripture, you, you learn a tremendous amount that you just have no clue of before, and people don't know. And it doesn't make you better than them. <laughs> but it means you know something that can help them. And so all Asia heard the word of Jesus. What a beautiful thing. Philemon and Onesimus, who there's a letter to Philemon by Paul, which we won't get into right now, were from Colossae. And then there's this guy named Epaphras, who we're going to hear about both today and later, had been in Ephesus, and he seemed to start the Colossian church because Paul had never been there, but he was the one that shared the Lord with them. Ephesians shows Christ as the head of his body, the church, and really focuses on the church as Christ's body. Colossians focuses on Jesus as the head over all creation and talks about his deity and supremacy over all of life and, of course, ours in the church specifically. 
And false doctrine was swirling, but we're not going to get to that yet today. We're going to do an introduction because the first thing Paul does and the first thing we're going to talk about for our brief time is uh, Paul's thanksgiving and prayer for faithful believers. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, and that's just any believer, and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth and the gospel, and which has come to you as it has in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it also has among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. You also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is faithful minister on Christ for your behalf, of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. I won't promise you we won't go as slow as we're going to go today. Why should I lie to you? <laughs> but we may go slowly through this, we may not, but this part for sure, I want to just let our beginning be slow. So uh, uh, not slow moving, but not trying to cover lots of chapters. In a world of compromise, both then and today, and it's always been this way, that there's compromise with truth uh, and with righteousness, how encouraging for Paul to know, how encouraging for us to know that in Colossae there were faithful brethren. You know, if you want like a, a something to put a, a, a caption underneath most of the shows on politics, shows of entertainment, shows of sports, shows of business, you could almost say here's a verse that would describe it. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Most men will pro- proclaim their own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And ladies, by the way, it's, we're going to talk about faithfulness. Men or women, it applies. Mankind, okay? A faithful person. Everyone proclaims their own goodness. Isn't that most of what we see? People proclaiming how good they are, how great they are, how talented they are, etc. I mean, it's not wrong to applaud and give credit to somebody who's got talent, but um, there's, would you agree that sometimes it's a bit much? And the selfism is a little bit, the selfies aren't just uh, videos or, and pictures. It's a world of selfieism. And that's just normal stuff for mankind and, and uh, building up everybody's personal self-image. Most men, men will proclaim, most people will proclaim their own goodness, but who can find a faithful person? And another companion proverb, twenty-five, nineteen: a confidence in an, an unfaithful man. Let me start that again. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot out of joint. So what's the deal with a bad tooth? Every single time you bite on it, it tells you it's causing you pain. Ow! Oh, oh, i got to go to the other side. I forgot. A joint, a foot out of joint, a sprained, a sprained ankle. Every time you put weight on it, it causes you pain. An unfaithful person, every time you put trust in them, it causes you pain. Now, so I want to talk about this for a few minutes. It may feel like I'm beating you up. 
I'm not. I thank God for the faithful men and women he's put in my life around me right here, and I often thank God for you. But um, we are big people here. Even you young people, you're big people. You don't need to be treated like little babies, do you? In fact, that should be offensive to you. If somebody treats you like a little baby, they should treat you with respect and also treat you like you're a man or a woman who can hear the truth. Is that right? All right. So uh, you can, what's he getting us up, set us up for? <laughs> oh, I'm going to beat you. No, 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 no. You know, uh, but we, in our nation, of course, as I said, we celebrate glitz, beauty, and the exciting. But listen, is faithfulness exciting? Well, that just depends. If you want to stand next to somebody who everybody says, oh, praise you, you're so cool, and you want to take a picture of yourself with some really cool person and say they're your bud, and you want to be rubbing shoulders and have everybody say, oh, did you get to go to that event with them? Okay, that's exciting. If you're stuck on the side of the road or your roof caves in in your house, you don't want somebody exciting to help you. They're too busy being exciting. If you're hurting... You're not worried about finding an exciting person. You're looking for somebody who cares, who loves, who has hands and feet that will roll up their sleeves and put on their boots and get dirty to help you deal with what's in front of you. Is that true? When you're in trouble, you don't look for somebody exciting. You look for somebody who will help you. And you look for somebody who cares and who is consistent in faith and committed to God's glory because they're going to give you better counsel than somebody that's just trying to help you feel better but is more worried about not making you angry or protecting their own image. If I'm worried about protect right now as I sit here, I'll use myself sitting here right now, if I'm more worried about protecting how you think about me, I can't care about you. I cannot care about you when I'm worried about what you're thinking about me. Then it's all about me. But if I care about you, I am going to give you the best help I can. But it might not be exactly what you want. It will be faithful. And I'm more interested, if I'm right with God, I'm more interested in being faithful to him and faithful to you than having everybody love me and make me feel good. Because you can't hold on to that. That's very elusive and it's not healthy. It's a very unhealthy way to live. It's also how little children live. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That verse, I know, is in relationship to the body of Christ functioning in its gifts during this time until Jesus, we see him face to face, and that which is perfect comes, and we're restored completely to the kingdom with Jesus Christ. I understand how that verse applies, but it's also a true statement, isn't it? Paul takes a true statement in life and applies it there, and that statement is, there's a time when you're a little kid, and there's a time when you grow up. I had the privilege of working at a summer camp that our church purchased when it was in disrepair at Lake Bradley, Oregon. Uh, it was a beautiful place. And we would bring over children, children, sorry, teenagers, and I don't consider teenagers children, but young adults, I really do, and I do my best to treat them that way. You guys who are teens know that um, 
hope that I do that. Um, but anyway, uh, some of you are way more mature than I am. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, we had, we'd take a group of kids every month, and they would spend part of the summer with us, uh, 14 to 16 usually. The older children needed real jobs before they got paid. <laughs> And we tried to, we were trying to encourage the youth and give them a little stipend and let them be at the beach and let them do the cleanup and stuff and counsel with our camps were there and, you know, that whole thing with youth coming to camp to work. And so we would have Bible study. I was, my part in that, in that, my part of being over that camp, I was over that camp for a while with another guy. Scott Biondi, who goes to Africa with me now, is going, he was the brains of the operation. I'm sure you can gather that. And I was the, uh, I did people stuff. Okay, and like I'd mess everything up and he'd go fix it. It was great. <laughs> so anyway, I worked with the kids directly, the teens. And, and uh, you know, so teenage boys, we have uh, some really responsible teenage boys in, in our life and in this church. So I don't say this across the board, but you kind of know that teenage girls tend to be maturing quicker than boys. That's really common knowledge. And may, if that bothers you as a young man, then, then just really prove it wrong. Prove it wrong, young man. Prove it wrong. Don't complain about it. Prove it wrong. Outlive your critics. All right, so the boys, you know, like, here's the garbage can by the gym. When you see it getting full, before it gets full, can you say that back to me? <laughs> no, I didn't do that. Before it gets full, take and wrap up the bag and put, take it out and put a new bag in. You know, and every day I'd go in and there's overflowing uh, cans and bottles and wrappers and water on the floor, stuff from, you know. And I'd, so, you know, I mean, I did deal with some of that, um, shall we say, unfaithfulness in some of the uh, teens, some of the girls too, really. Uh, but they all did, they did okay, but I was working with them and we did Bible study. And so when, finally one Bible study said, I showed him a, a situation of a faithful person in the Bible. And I said, what happens if you, somebody asks you to do something and you not only do it, but you do it well, maybe even better than you were asked to do it, what happens? I, um, they give you money? <laughs> not always, but I'll tell you what always happens. Almost, almost always if you do your job really well, if you fulfill an assignment really well, if you are extremely faithful in something and show that you can do it really well, people will expect more of you. And I looked at some of the faces like, you could see them going, well, okay, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> I'm telling you, I remember the faces right now. And I said, there's an alternative to that. You can purposely or through laziness or through uh, being distracted not do what you're supposed to do really well and not even do it as it's supposed to be done. And you cannot be faithful. And then you know what people will expect from you? Absolutely nothing. In life, eventually, this is going to catch every person, every person in the hearing of my voice and beyond. At some point, people are going to either expect more of you because you're definitely capable. Not that you should let people push you around and demand of you and, and manipulate you. That's not what we're talking about, so forget about that. That's not the point here. People are either going to expect more of you 
or they are going to expect nothing of you. Now, do you really want to be a person, I don't know who I'm speaking to here, who people just, they look at you and go, oh, no, don't ask him. Why? Because you can't, or don't ask her, you can't expect anything of them. What, what a terrible thought to live in. You see, there is no replacement for faithfulness. There's no replacement. What about the parent that's got money to burn to give their kid to try to buy off the problems their kid's having and the kid is not uh, feeling connected to the dad or the mom? Uh, you know, that's the story. They, they make a million movies about this. The rich parent that gives their kid everything but doesn't give them what they really need. There's no replacement for faithfulness, is there? The world knows it. The movies are overwhelming with that story. But it's not just a movie. It's how life works. It's how life works. And God wants us to grow. And, and there was a guy, I'll just tell you his story because I, I, I I'm going to take too much time. Uh, Hezekiah, and you can, if you're a note taker, look it up later. In chapter 31 of Second Chronicles, it says, this guy came on the scene when nobody was being faithful, and he was faithful. And he was faithful, and he, he cleaned up Jerusalem. He did all these things. This is everything he did. He did it with all of his heart for the Lord. And that's the end of chapter 31. And it's not divided by chapters, but those were added later. But it was the next verse. Folks, the next verse. Gail and Kate, did you catch this? The next verse. Both of you. Okay, the very next verse, it says, after he did all these acts of faithfulness, King Sennacherib of Assyria came against him and sieged the city. Time out! Time out, God! I'm faithful to you! I do all these things right, and now instead of getting blessed, I get this enemy come and attack me. Guess what, folks? Being faithful doesn't mean that all your problems go away. Being faithful doesn't mean if you're faithful to God, all your troubles will be eliminated. And if you're having trouble, this is not a rebuke to you that you're being unfaithful. You might be doing exactly right, and you still might get hammered. Isn't that true? But I'll tell you what it will do. It will strengthen you to face that trouble. And to face it properly, and to not be a little kid, but to be a man or a woman facing that challenge. And I'll tell you what it will do. It will reduce unnecessary trouble. What do you think, if we all took the time to go around the room here today, to go around the room and each of us share as many of our stupid things we've done, foolish things we've done that have cost us in relationship, in finance, in whatever else, would you like to do that one? We just don't have time for it. For even me to do it, it would take at least two minutes for me. Might take three for you, Abby. Yeah. And then the rest of them, it would take hours. Okay. Just you and me, that's the only ones I know about. So anyway, you know, there's no replacement for consistent commitment to God's glory. And um, so um, in Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, the, the, uh, you know, some people, some men and women never grow up. They're still speaking like children. Well, I'm not as bad as him. Are you kidding me? 
that I, this, I'm not speaking in pol- political issues, but I think that's going on right now. And if the boot fits, wear it, <laughs> my friend Woody said. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, for anybody, for everybody, you, you know, comparing yourself with somebody who's, who's just a little worse than you or not doing as good as you and saying I'm okay because they're worse, that's child stuff. That's kitty things. Speaking as a child, thinking as a child, acting as a child. But I want, at this summer camp, we had the, the pastors, the youth pastors, and I was kind of older over the youth path. See, got young people here? I've always been an old man. It's like weird. No, I haven't. I was 40, and I know to you that's old. But they were 25 and 30. And, uh, and so... Um, and they were really good guys, but, but some of these guys drove these buses. We had two buses going someplace, and, and the buses, they, I'm driving a van behind with some supplies, and we're doing a trip with kids, and it's during the week that we're having a kid's camp, and you go to the beach, and you do these other things, and so the buses, they get this bright idea. We all have walkie-talkies, and they get up next to each other, driving 55 or 60 miles an hour right next to each other on the highway, and the two, there's two lanes going the same direction, but buses are not to do this. Not only that, they open the windows and they pass something as a joke between the buses, like get close enough to pass stuff between them. I'm livid. You haven't seen me livid. <laughs> no, but no, you know, big brick. But I was livid, okay? I was like, I can't believe this. And we sat down and had a meeting and I said, okay, I'm not sure where you guys got the idea that you, could, you can't do this legally, you can't do this safely, and if you, uh, somebody got hurt doing that, first of all, it's wrong and it's illegal. Secondly, and secondly, you could hurt somebody or get people killed or arms cut off when one bus stops while there's somebody's, you know, or anything could happen. And this is ridiculous. You've got to stop this. And the answer from, a, from a, a guy who's great, but he just had this bad childish moment, he says, can't we have any fun? And let me tell you, I, I've hardly ever wanted to strike a brother, you know. But I was like, I said, did you really say that? Is that your answer to what we're talking about here? I said, you know, I really don't care if you have any fun. I care if the kids are safe and we don't bring shame to the name of Christ by doing some stupid thing that causes harm. So I don't really, I'm not here to figure out if you get to have fun. But I was, I couldn't believe it, you know, that he would say that. And I've not been, it's not like I'm perfect and pure since I was like, 20, so switch turned on, and I never did anything stupid. Still happens sometimes, but that was really stupid. We'll call that really stupid. And, you know, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. I spoke like a child. But when I became a man, there was a time. It doesn't mean I put away all my fun. You have a lot more. Listen, a little kid, a five-year-old, may say, what's your favorite thing in life? Ice cream. How many of you, please raise your hand if it's true. How many of you like ice cream? How many of you love ice cream? I love ice cream, don't you? But if ice cream is the most important thing in my life, now it's pathetic. It's not pathetic that a five-year-old would say my favorite thing in life is ice cream because they're growing up and they found the taste and that's, and that's all they know. But is that all you know? No, when you become a man, a woman, when you grow up, those things are okay, but those things don't motivate you like they used to. You know, when I was a baby, you could put me in a kitchen floor with pots and pans, and I could bang them. 
but I'd really rather play actual chords on the guitar now. Wouldn't you? If it still satisfies you to bang pots on the kitchen floor, something's not connecting. We can still have that. Ha- you know, we can still enjoy simple, fun things. In fact, one of our highlights in this church is I think we do enjoy simple, fun things together. But our purpose isn't just to have an ice cream cone. So. It will hurt family, society, and miss our own fulfillment if we remain immature like children. And, and so Colossae was a bunch of people, not all of them, I'm sure, who understood their calling in Christ without Bible schools, friends without Bibles. They didn't have Bible schools. They didn't even have Bibles. Because the Old Testament was scrolls that would be in the synagogues and maybe there'd be a few around. The New Testament wasn't fully written yet and in form where everybody could have it. Are you with me? What did they have? They didn't even have no online studies. I'm not knocking our resources. You know, I'm glad we have them. We put our studies online. But this isn't what makes you a mature Christian, that you have a lot of intellect and know stuff. What makes you a mature Christian is given for us here. The true marks of a maturing church are faith, hope, and love. And also in 1 Corinthians 13, after the verse I read you about a child, it goes on to say that there's three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. And that's the order that we'll do them in, not like written here, faith, love, and hope. And guess what? The greatest of these is love. Because our faith will be completed, our hope will be fulfilled, But love is the thing that carries on. Relationships matter more than anything else. Relationships matter more than ice cream. It's hard for that five-year-old to get that when they want ice cream because they're still a baby. But it's sad when a man acts like a five-year-old, isn't it? A man who has a wife and children. Is still his number one goal in life is to have enough time to play video games a lot. <laughs> that is sad. So, um, told you I was going to get in your face, but I don't think anybody here is like that. So, faith, hope, and love. Three consistent things. Faith, our past is covered. Our past, our sins are forgiven. It has no hold on us. And in the present, we don't have to live in fear. Since the day you heard of it, he says in grace three, uh, in, in verses four and five, you have been able to grow in this grace and you have heard the word and it's done work in you. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10 tells us, and hearing by hearing the word of God. Actually hearing it, not letting his words fall to the ground. Again, I, the analogies are starting to kind of ooze out of me, forgive me if it's too much. But a little child, you try to put something precious or careful in their hands, first of all, you're stupid. (laughs) Because, you know, a child, you're asking them to contrive with little small hands, small feet, and not very good coordination. You're asking, here, take this china over to the table. Why would you do that? If the chances of them looking away, you know, how about the plate today? Watch some of the kids come out. Nobody already in this room. And as they're talking with a plate in their hand with food on it. Hey, I was like, what's that over there? And they, and they, you know, like that? Mary, how many times have your children done that? You know, it's, uh, 
so so you don't you know when you have a little kid you don't you, you you see they pile up their plate and they have two little fingers on this end of the plate mom dad your job's to get a hand around that thing on the other side of that plate don't see i think they can balance that no they can't <laughs> they can't do it and they're also like they're just looking all, and everything that's going on is a new way to throw food. <laughs> so, so, so what's the point here is that, is that um, Samuel, though he was young, you young people in the room, he was young, but his testimony was he didn't let any of the Lord's words fall to the ground. You, you aren't going to get better advice than that. There's not like some key and trick to how life's going to work for you and be really cool if you let God's word fall to the ground because something precious is being put in your hands and you need a firm grip on it. And we don't put something precious in the hands of somebody that can't handle it. In the, not, we do put God's word, but he'll protect it. But you know what I mean? You, know, you don't do that because you realize a person has to show some maturity to be able to carry special things and, and they have to have a grip on it. And that's what God is doing in our lives here. My point is, that's what God is trying to do in your life and in my life right now. And even if I'm not a very good teacher, God is, and that's what he's trying to do right now when you look at this chapter. And so, I'm stoked about it because it's not gray. It's black and white. It's clear. It's something you can grab a hold of. From the first day they heard of it, and their hope, not only their faith, but their hope. Hope is our future. I'm secure in Jesus. Romans 8 says, why does a person hope for something they already have? Oh, I hope I get a glass of water. I'm really hoping somebody brings me a glass of water. Would that be kind of silly? I have a glass of water. I have the glass of water. I'm not hoping for it. Our future is secure. We're hoping for it now. But when we get there, we won't hope for anything. It'll all be here and now. So what remains? Love. Love's for right now. It puts feet to my faith. Love is the relationships that matter. It's the fruit that he talks about blossoming in them. How encouraging from the first day they heard it. They were helped and greatly influenced by examples that went before them. Paul, who never made it there, was an example. He not only understood and had the mind stuff which Paul was incredible in his mind but he had the life example for them to follow and a guy named Epaphras that came from Colossae over to Ephesus and met Paul and heard and was taught by him and came to Christ through him went back and Genesis uh, in Genesis the early chapters it says every seed reproduces after its own kind after its own type so like when you plant an apple seed you don't get an avocado tree you get an apple tree. Make sense? Okay. This is not across the board the total answer to all of Christianity because I had a guy who planted the seed of faith in me and his walk with God was terrible and he ended up turning away from the Lord and ended up in jail for lewd behavior. That's the guy that led me to the Lord. So I can't say everyone always reproduces after their kind spiritually, you know, and that he was the guy that led me to Jesus because I didn't follow him. Okay. Just so you know. But on the other hand, on the other hand, every one seed reproduces shallow faith produces shallow fruit. Lukewarm faith produces lukewarm fruit. If you're a parent, 
you can do, you know, I know I do a lot of talking, but you can do a lot of talking and tell your kids how they should be, but your actions speak 100,000 times louder than any words you say, period. Words don't mean anything to kids. Your behavior does. Words matter. I took my grandson out, and I gave him words. We had a retreat. We also went to, you know, all that stuff, swimming, uh, all these things, you know. But we also spent time in the Word, and uh, he's a great young man. But I wanted to give him something to grab a hold of. Now, if, if he said to me, but Papa... You know, you're telling me that I have to learn to control my own spirit, my self-control and my anger and things like this. But I see you yell at, your, at Nana and yell at my mom and yell at the guy in the car next to you all the time. I would say, shut up, kid. Just listen to me. You get what I'm saying? You know, your, your, your words carry a lot more weight when you actually are living what you're speaking. And... Uh, and so it doesn't, it doesn't do a lot of good when you're living completely contrary. Now, nobody's perfect, but if you're living contrary, that's where repentance comes in, where you actually, when you sin against a child, you're as responsible to repent to that child as if you sinned against me. Oh, I sinned against the pastor. I've got to run to him and write him a letter. I've got to come to him because he's responsible for the church. You know what? Your kid's more important than I am. Your kid is more important than I am. You sin against your child, you repent to them. You ask them to forgive you. Not just, I'm sorry, but you made me mad. That's, that's when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I'm sorry, but you made me mad is what a child says when they're wrong for showing anger. If you're wrong for showing anger, how about, I'm sorry, I need to control my temper and my anger and be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Please forgive me. Do you see the difference? I got to tell you, I'm around a lot of people, and I see a lot more childishness than I see maturity. I don't mean here, but just in general in life. And so are you. And don't be influenced by that. Who's going to influence you? Who is going to influence you? You see, Epaphras was influenced by Paul, and Paul was influenced, of course, by the Holy Spirit. You know, he did have a direct connection to the Lord, and even the apostles in Jerusalem didn't give him that much strength, but he did have Barnabas. God will give you somebody. It might take a while, but be sure that you have somebody ahead of you to follow with. Not do their every beckoning or just make them an idol, but don't just compare yourself and hang out and never spend time with people who are ahead of you because it intimidates you. That's childish. That's the kid that won't go play sports because he might not win the game. Play with the kids who always win, and you'll get better. You know, you look at me and go, I, I'm pretty sure Rick's not a real basketball player. You didn't see me in my day. <laughs> and here was my day. I was 30 years old before I ever basically picked up a basketball. But the guys in my church were basketball players. And I always loved the game, but I didn't really feel like I was going to be my... Phoenix, Arizona, I played with Glenn Iowata, a Japanese guy that was thin and quick and just beat me every time, one-on-one, -on -one, for months. But I went out to exercise and play, and I got better. And pretty soon, I found two things. One is I can use my bigger body to push him around. 
And number two, I actually learned to dribble and shoot and not just hack everybody. And the guys would play, and I became a pretty good basketball player for where I was because I was always, always, always playing with people who were better than I was. I got better. If you just hang out in a realm that you're just comfortable and you're never challenged spiritually and you think you're going to grow strong, you're fooling yourself. You're thinking as a child. Take the challenge. Make sure that don't diss people who maybe aren't stronger than you, but don't find your satisfaction. Well, at least I'm not as bad as him. (laughs) What does that mean? That means you're a baby. Grow up. Whoever it is I'm talking to you. There's one person in the room. You're all just, you're so mature, you're doing this for that one person. Some of you are saying, and it's the one sitting next to me. (laughs) And, you know, you're letting God's word fall to the ground right now. Forget about the person next to you. What's God saying to you? And what's God saying to me, Rick? So, now I'm going to give you a disclaimer of something I want to ask you. It's a question I ask from time to time, and it's not an easy one, and I wouldn't want to oppress you with it. So I'm being very careful But then once you know me, once I get going, I'm just going to say it, okay? So before I say it, I want you to understand that not everybody has the same time, not everybody has the same gifting, not everybody has the same calling. Does everybody get that, that I know that? Also, there's no pressure in this church. This church is not a place where you're going to be pressured to teach Sunday school, to be a servant and do this or that, and you're going to be forced to do things. Do you get that? And if I hear that somebody's trying to force you, I will come against them and tell them they're wrong. they got to stop. Do you understand that? That's our vision here is not to oppress you and constantly make you feel like you're not doing enough. you got to do more. But I'm also not going to talk to you like little babies. What if everybody in the body of Christ was just like you? They were just like you. How many prayer meetings would there be anywhere? What if everybody in the body of Christ was just like you? How many Bible studies would there be? I know there'd probably be Sunday mornings sometimes. But I mean, other than that, how many acts of compassion and kindness in the name of Christ would happen? It's not all about church attendance and all that stuff. But but I'm going to go through the whole list for a minute. How many... many, many, um, Things would happen this way. How much giving would go on? How much proclaiming of the gospel would go on? You know, it's easy to say it's not my gift because everything isn't your gift. Not everybody's good at everything. Not everybody has the time for everything. I get that. But I'm asking you to ask yourself, what if everybody in the body of Christ was just like me? What would happen to the church? Would it exist? Of course, that's not a fair question, because we don't need just you. We need you to be who God made you to be, but we don't need you to be who he made somebody else to be. So it's not a fair question, but it's a good ponderance, because I get challenged by that. You know, and sometimes I'll say, what if it was, she wrote, Amy wrote Pastor Rick, so what if every pastor was just like me? Whoa, gosh, Lord. (laughs) What if every person was just like you? We all have flaws and weaknesses, but it's a great haunting question that I would ask you to ask yourself 
The question isn't, can you be everything all the time to everybody and be at every event and every circumstance? But the question is, if you're talking about using your gifts, are, are you using your gifts? What if everybody in the body of Christ used their gift just like you? What if everybody in the body of Christ gave the same attention to faithfulness that you do? Where would we be? You notice what we do? We kind of find our little groove, and if we're comfortable in it, who cares? I mean, it's working. You know, it's not just working. What's happening is there are faithful people around us being faithful, and it's making life better for us in the Spirit. It's making the body of Christ work better. And there are faithful people here with your children. There are faithful people here doing things, praying for you. There are faithful people here and elsewhere serving the Lord faithfully. And the question isn't, how do I match up with each of them? Because we've already eliminated that. But am I doing what God, am I using my gift to the greatest ability? You would be pretty frustrated if me or Joel or Wendy came up here and said, yeah, I was really kind of busy this week and um, kind of distracted, and I don't really know what songs we're going to do. I'm like, did you get a song? What would you do if you came in? you say, I'm not going to that church. Oh, oh, now our ire is up. We're all like, oh, she wasn't faithful to even prepare. They didn't care enough about what they were doing to prepare for leading worship on Sunday. How dare you? I came in here pre- for expecting, you know. <laughs> <laughs> When's the last time you prayed for this service before you came here? Whose job is that? Pastors? Musicians? Like we isolate that down? Praying for the rest of the body of Christ. Time to grow up. It's okay if you don't like it that somebody else is unprepared and unfaithful, but make sure that you're not a hypocrite. Right? So, I told you it would get heavy, but I just want you to get a really strong picture because what I got out of this is, and I think most of you know, and we're, we're going to be done. There were faithful people in Colossae, and there are faithful people in front of me staring at me right now who are doing better than I am, who make my life stronger, who make me be able... Some of you who are faithful have changed my life because I used to be so timid when I spoke. Now you're trying to find the off switch, I know. But I used to be so... You don't, you, some of you don't know it, but people would come up and beg me, please stop apologizing for what you're saying and just say it. They used to beg me to do that. Do you know how I got stronger? Because faithful people got in my face, and faithful, not meanly, faithful people stayed with me, faithful people served each other in front of me, faithful people taught me how to walk with God better. I didn't come here as the ultimate Christian to teach all you underlings how to be. There's no such thing as that. We're on even ground, and we all need to grow, and there's people around you to help you. And some of them are the people you don't want to let help you. And you're making a big mistake, and your family will pay for it, and you will pay for it. And I say this almost all the time now, and I don't mean to be heavy on this, but it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. 
And if you can't see that, your head's in the sand. So I'm talking to those who are faithful and saying thank you and thank God for you. And I'm talking to those who maybe need to read Corinthians 13.11 and say it's time to grow up. And I am talking to you too. But I don't know for sure who I'm talking to. That's between you and your Lord, not me. I'm just being faithful. If If I am, I'm being faithful to say it like it is. And you're as accountable for what you do with it as I am for saying it. It's either wrong and you can correct it and you can come to me with a biblical correction or you can just know that I'm wrong and just pray about it. But you can't just ignore it because that's letting God's word fall to the ground. Because Paul said to the Ephesian elders, I've not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God to you. And so now your blood is on your own hands on your own heads. I've done my part. Now it's your part. Of course, my part's not done. I have to serve and help and care and cry and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who... I have a lot to do, but so do you in the kingdom. But what we get to do today before we have soup is we get to go to the tables of the Lord, the table of the Lord, and we get to say, who is the true and faithful witness? Who is that? Say his name. The true and faithful witness. None of us is perfect. None of us is the perfect answer to the body of Christ. I'm not asking you to be any more than God tells you to be. I'm not asking you to pick up your finger and do anything in this church. I'm asking you to seek the Lord and love him because he first loved you. I'm asking you to ask God what it means for you to follow him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I'm asking you to consider whether you could be an example to others or whether God is showing you today that there really needs to be some changes and that you will go to his table and maybe go back and go to your knees and say, God, help me. None of us is better than you are. We're just like you. But wise is the person that will go to the table of the Lord. If you don't understand what we're doing here, don't do it. You can ask one of us later, after service, and we'll explain it. But don't take communion just because you think it's the thing to do. It's for those who believe and trust in Jesus that his blood paid for your sin, that his body was broken for you, and you are celebrating what he's done and celebrating that he's coming because you have absolute assurance that he's coming for you. If you're not sure of that, see one of us after the service. But feel free then, otherwise, to take the body and blood of our Lord as we begin to sing and worship. And we'll quickly go. Because you have no strength in yourself. You've got to rely on Jesus. This isn't a pep talk to just do better, be stronger. Everybody pump yourself up right now. I'm going to do better. Don't do that. I'm not asking you to do that. Go to the Lord. Lord, search my heart and make things real to me that need to be real. And Rick's missing it on me about something. That's great. I don't know you. God knows you. But are you, can you honestly go before him with integrity of heart? Because that's where he wants to take you. Father, we pray that you would bless this table and you would bless our lives. And we are so thankful that Jesus is the true and faithful witness. He never dropped what was precious except his blood. Only his blood dropped on the ground from the wounds placed there to pay for our sin. 
and we are ever grateful to you in Jesus' name.